And here we go for the Monday podcast, brought to you by the Not The Top 20 podcast. This show is sponsored by Betfair. This show is me, Ali Maxwell, and my friend and co-host, George Ellick, returns on the pod. George, I mean this more than I've ever meant it before. Hello, my friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I am very happy after yeah the, the birth of uh, my daughter, Eva, uh, who came along on Friday, the 11th of November at about 3.30 in the morning, as I said, just in time to... Uh, watched all of the weekend's action unfold. Uh, I watched the first half of Oxford for Port Vale nil with her on my lap in hospital, um, which was nice. And yeah, I am um, a dad, which is which is pretty exciting. And, you know, I think a lot of people have quite difficult first weeks of, of fatherhood. We've been very lucky to have uh, a good support network around us of, of grandparents and, and things. And our daughter just seems to like, at this stage, touch wood, she likes eating, well, drinking, and um and she likes sleeping and she's normally doing one or the other one or the other and that means that there's quite a big major football tournament about to start isn't the EFL and I, and I think it's quite a good time to have a, a sleeping or feeding baby sitting on your lap mate she sounds like an absolute cracker which is not a surprise but makes me very very happy I know that so many people Thank you. who love the pod and listen to the pod were so excited when you tweeted the news Spoke about it a bit at the top of the show last week as well. Such a nice response from almost everyone, apart from one bloke who said that he didn't like the pod anyway. So actually, if <laughs> if we stopped it because you had a kid, then he'd be happy. So um... that's why I'm here. That was the that was the moment where I was like, right, I've got to come back. Can't <laughs> can't let the haters win. Does the time fly by as a new father, or do the days take longer than pre-baby days? Interesting question. I would say a bit of both. Where it kind of blows my mind that it's already been nine days since she was born. But at the same time, I can't believe it's only been nine days since she was born <laughs> where every day is, is fairly similar as you know, it was also my birthday on, on Friday, which was nice. And, and we managed to um, take Eva to the pub for a bit, which was, which she loved, which bodes well. So that kind of breaking up the day in that sense helps. Um, but there is obviously a, a, a monotony to um, life with a, a baby. And the nights are the ones that really get you where it's quite difficult going to sleep and setting an alarm every time you go to sleep for two and a half, three hours later. Fully in the knowledge that the chances are you're not even going to make it to that alarm because they're going to wake up before you and start crying. So, um, yeah, it's a joy. Lots of time for pod prep and for watching football, which is a nice bonus. When I said lots of time for pod prep there, your facial expression suggested that might not actually be the case. Um, no. but I guess we'll find out. Uh, on this week's episode, we are talking uh, about the League One and League Two weekend that was in the EFL. We'll touch on the World Cup as well with an EFL lens, um, taking a sideways glance at the World Cup and guitar through an EFL lens. And, uh, and it's going to be the last time you hear from me for a while. Uh, off on honeymoon, aren't I? I'm going to South Africa and you have been to South Africa and done a not dissimilar mm. trip. And the way that you've always spoken about that country and that holiday in particular, I mean, just sounds absolutely unbelievable. Okay, so on today's pod, uh, League One and League Two weekend review. Uh, let's talk about the World Cup. It's about to start in a couple of hours time. We are pretty excited about it. And in particular on this, an EFL focused podcast, we're excited about the 30 EFL players that are currently in Qatar waiting to represent their nations on the world stage. Now, some of them will represent their nations 
literally more than others. Uh, quite a mm. lot of the 30 players I'm not expecting to be necessarily starters for their country. I want to know who you're most excited about uh, in EFL terms, seeing on the World Cup stage. Let me just whiz through the names because some people listening might not have done a sort of overview. There are 26 championship players going, two from League One and two from League Two. Um, Australia have three, Riley McGree uh, of Borough, Harry Suter of Stoke City, who hasn't played for Stoke yet since his ACL injury last year, but is going to play for Australia in Qatar. Bailey Wright as well of Sunderland. Cameroon have Olivier Uncham of Swansea City. Canada, of course, Junior Hoylet, what a legend he is in Canadian football and the Reading player. Costa Rica have Jewison Bennett, the 18-year-old Sunderland forward player who we've only really seen off the bench in the championship. Did snatch a goal, didn't he, against Watford a few weeks ago. Ghana have two, Baba Rahman of uh, Reading and Antoine Semenyo, our favourite uh, Bristol City forward player. Morocco have big Ilias Chair and... Uh, Anas Zarouri, who replaced an injured Amin Harit uh, a few days ago and takes the number 10 shirt, albeit I'm not sure we'll see Zarouri get too many minutes, but that's very exciting. Um, Poland have Christian Bielek, Senegal have Seni Dieng, Mamadou Loum, uh, Iliman Njai and Ismail Assar, four EFL players in the Senegal squad. Uh, Tunisia have Hannibal of Birmingham City on loan from United. Uh, USA have Ethan Horvath, the Luton Town goalkeeper, and Josh Sargent, the Norwich City striker. And then Wales, George. Wales have, I think, 14. Is it 14 mm. of the players? Uh, or 12 or 14 of the players heading out. Uh, two from League Two, Chris Gunter of Wimbledon and Johnny, Johnny Esther of Swindon Town. Two from League One, Joe Morrell of Portsmouth and Matt Smith of MK Dons. And then Joe Allen, Ben Cabango, uh, Ruben Colwell, Mark Harris, Adam Davies, uh, Tom Lockyer. Connor Roberts, of course, uh, and Sorber Thomas completes a, a magnificent few years of a footballing journey. Of that lot, who are you and Eva most excited to see on your telly? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a few. I'm excited, not necessarily by him himself, but you mentioned Hoylet there and his, his impact with Canadian football. I think Canada are probably one of the, the minnows that I'm most looking forward to seeing generally um, in terms of the World Cup this season, where they um, have built a reputation for very aggressive attacking football which is what we like to see um, they've got some fun players in Alfonso Davis and Jonathan Davids uh, and then hopefully Hoyler can slot in there as well um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them in terms of Senegal it's obviously very good news for um, Illiman and Jai <laughs> Sergio Mane has um, had to bow out not so good for your bets in Senegal Ali but um, <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't have thought Jai had much of a hope of playing much uh, you know playing a part really in, in the tournament had Mane um, been fit and able to play, but there are obviously similarities in terms of of, of their game. I'm not, not suggesting for a second that Njai is as good as Mane, but in terms of their uh, versatility across the front line, uh, in terms of them both being able to run the channels or be that goal scorer, and you know it looks like um, Dia is the is the main striker for Senegal. But if he doesn't fire, then you think Njai should get a chance pretty early on to show what he can do. And then there's also, of course, um, Ismail Sar. Um, Seni Dieng and Loom in there as well, and then finally, um, Antoine Semenyo of 21 under 21 fame, um, at, in, with Ghana, also with Baba Rackman Reading, uh, very well represented in the in the World Cup this year. Um, where I just really hope he gets an opportunity. Um, Ghana, probably one of the African countries that have the the lowest ambitions or expectations ahead of the season, but um, sorry, ahead of the, the competition. But they played Switzerland in a friendly a couple of days ago now. Anyone who listens to the 1-24s will know that I do not like preseason friendlies at all. Um, but Ghana battered Switzerland in that game. And I think a lot of people are quite hopeful that Switzerland might be a, a decent side. 
Uh, I don't. I think Serbia will qualify ahead of Switzerland for those who uh, are interested. But um, yeah, so hopefully if if Ghana do have a good tournament, Semenyo can flourish on the on, on the bigger stage. Then there are just a couple who genuinely like seeing them play on this stage will make me make me quite emotional, quite proud. Will make mm-hmm. me make me feel things. Like I don't know if that sounds weird or not, but for and example, you never anything either. <laughs> yeah, emotionless man. Possibly most of all, Big Ilias, just because it's been such a pleasure to follow his journey uh, from that unbelievably memorable loan at Stevenage, completely out of nowhere, completely explosive. Um, you know, the fact that he is so short as to be like very notable, but has managed to even so like carve out a level of, of play, which I now believe is, is right up there in the championship. I think this season for QPR, he's been magnificent and taken another leap forward. And, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what he can do at this level. Another player who, if the games are slow, he's the sort of player actually that will hold the ball in possession that can that can both pick out clever passes, combine well with teammates. We know he's got the vision for a pass and a long shot as well. So I'm really hopeful that he gets some minutes. Harrit's injury for, for Morocco maybe makes that more likely than it otherwise would have been. I'm not sure that Zaruri um, will get much play, but it would be really fun to see one or both of them, particularly against Belgium, Morocco and Belgium in the, in the same uh, group. And both of these guys, born and raised in Belgium, Ilias in, in Antwerp, uh, and Zaruri was playing for Belgium under 21s two months ago in, in September. So that would be an interesting one for him. Um, I, I would love to see Chair take the pitch for Morocco against uh, Belgium at the World Cup. And then Christian Bielik as well, because he's always been one of my favourite players in the league. I just think his his skill set, his pro- profile of player is just so up my street. But he missed 10 months in 2020 through injury. He missed 12 months the whole of 2021 as well. Um, you just have to think about the journey he's been on to get to this point. The mental strain, the physical strain, the, the doubts that must have crept in, the anxiety, and just pure resilience winning out, uh, getting the, the loan move to Birmingham and showing that he can still cut it comfortably at, at championship level and no doubt higher than that uh, in the future if he can stay fit. So really looking forward to seeing this lot um, perform in Qatar. But we're here to talk league action. Uh, and why don't we start in league? One, George, I'm out of breath after that. So I want you to tell me, <laughs> get your grumpy dad hat on and go bad cop in League One this weekend. Yeah, the bad cop is Cambridge United, um, who succumbed to a 1-0 defeat against Accrington Stanley. It, it's, you know, it comes down to what has been a, a really bad run of form. And I'm sure Cambridge fans will hope that this is um, the end of a bad run of form. But when you're breaking down their last 12 games, um, they've lost nine of those games. And this is the sixth straight game at home where they haven't scored a goal in the league. Um, you know, we often talk about, or it's often spoken about generally in kind of football coverage, how, you know, football is a fickle game. And so often when fan sentiment is surrounding wanting players and managers to be loyal to their employers and loyal to the clubs that gave them a chance. I think what we're seeing with Mark Bonner is a case in point as to why it is important to gamble on yourself and take opportunities when your stock is high. Because at the beginning of that 12-game run, Mark Bonner was offered the um, Rotherham job. Obviously, he is a you know his loyalty towards Cambridge cannot be questioned in terms of he had a pre-existing loyalty to them, being a fan and a club employee for so many for so many years. Um, but I would probably hazard a guess that he's regretting his decision now, and I think no one can begrudge him that because. 
there's no chance where they are at the moment that he would be even considered for any championship job. And his stock is is, is falling quite considerably as Cambridge drift towards the relegation zone. Um, the reasons for this, I can't really put my finger on. It's quite a weird one where, you know, remember in the promotion season when they went up, they were a big data outlier. We were there all season saying this cannot continue. Cambridge will have to at some point fall away. They didn't. We then had them 24th out of 24 and I won to 24s in their first season in League One. They um, blitzed our predictions and, and you know, got mid-table safety. Uh, and it felt like this summer we had just, everybody had just accepted that actually, you know what, there's nothing to pick a hole in here. Cambridge are a good side and Bonn is a good manager going places. And um, just when you relax, as is often the case in football, suddenly um, the trend ends and the reverse slide starts to happen. Mm. Um, this was a really poor performance from them. Again, they don't look particularly threatening going forward. Uh, Accrington were able to win the game with relative ease, um, having had a, a goal that's allowed earlier on in the game uh, as well. Cambridge just don't look particularly threatening. Um, Sam Smith is going through a, a very difficult patch in front of goal. I think he's one of the big, if you look at the expected goals numbers since the beginning of October, I think he's got one of the highest in the division, uh, but hasn't scored since then. Um, but it, this is the first time in Bonner's tenure where things aren't going well, um, where, where question marks are, are, are here and he has to work out a way to reverse what is a, a pretty alarming um, stretch of form. And at the moment, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that, um, that a reverse, a turnaround is is on the horizon. Yeah, I couldn't believe how slow and laboured and unimaginative they looked here. And in fairness, Accrington were the reverse of that. They weren't, I don't think, unbelievable here, but certainly showed more intent, looked a lot sharper. Uh, and as you say, basically cantered to victory in a game where that wouldn't necessarily have been the expectation. You know, I picked Cambridge to win on the betting show. The stats mm. for Accrington away from home since the start of last season make for pretty glum reading. You know, they've lost 60% of their games, basically. Their goal difference since the start of last season away from home is like minus 34 from 32 games. So, you know, broadly, you could say they've been a goal worse than their opposition on average in every game uh, over that period. And yet it didn't look like that at all here. So that almost compounds the misery and and sets my alarm bells ringing for Cambridge, um, for sure. But well done to Accrington. They rose above Cambridge there. Uh, Cambridge now down in, in 20th. There is a six-point gap um, between Cambridge and MK, who are in the, the top um, relegation position. Six points at the moment. But when you consider that MK are looking a tiny bit better than they were a month or two ago, when you consider that Burton Albion are definitely looking better than they looked two months ago, um, that six-point gap doesn't necessarily mean too much at this stage. Cambridge have to find some way to to get through this. Bonner has to get through this. Um, as you say, this is kind of the first proper adversity, it feels like, in his two and a half years there. Um, and, and you know, managers have to show themselves to be good at coping with adversity as well as, uh, you know, um, making hay while the sun shines. Uh, my good cop is, is Barnsley. Uh, and really just another nod I wanted to make to how pleased I am to see Barnsley kind of back in business after the horrors of last season, just a huge blip in their last five years of, of football club existence. And 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 blips can grow into more, but that seems to have been, you know, put away back in the attic. They, they look well past that now. And, and I think the most impressive thing that they did was hire Mike Duff because I just think he's so good. And, and I think what he's doing at Barnsley is so good. They absolutely dominated MK Dons, beating them 3-1. MK had only two shots. One of them was the equalising goal from Issa on, on 40 minutes after a 
cheeky nutmeg of Kitching, which I really enjoyed. But that was their only shot until Bradley Johnson had a chance from a corner after 89 minutes. It was pure domination and a 3-1 <laughs> win. Jordan Williams took the, the first goal nicely. The right wing back's been an excellent form for Barnsley this season, really growing into quite a senior role in, in this team, despite still being very young, as they mostly all are. But Adam Phillips, you know, I, I discussed him last week in the Express Roundup without you. And I just feel so strongly that if Phillips gets a run in the team and stays fit, he's going to raise the ceiling of this Barnsley attack because he is that high volume attacking player, takes tons of shots, had five shots here. He makes late runs into the box that are very hard to defend. He's a threat from the edge of the box as well and from range. I really think that he helps them to go from being a an okay attacking team, but probably below par for, for their intentions and their ambitions to a good a good attacking team. I think he's he's that much of a uh, of the kind of um, the, the the missing piece of the jigsaw, really. So a uh, nice goal from him, header from a Cadden cross. And then Herbie Kane scored a lovely third goal and, and looked really good here. George, I, I know you you miss Herbie Kane in the yellow shirt, don't you? He's a, hmm. a, one of one of the Oxford loanees from the past few years that you really, really admired. Yeah, he's a quality player and someone who, unlike some midfielders uh, where they, um, you're not entirely sure where their best position is and you think of it as being a weakness. I think he's someone who's very adept at playing a range of roles. Um, you know, he often played as the as the deepest lying midfielder um, for Oxford, which I think is a role he probably can do if he has another alongside him, which he didn't have at Oxford, although he is pretty combative. Um, but it's his his vision and his passing that's the, the, the best part of his game. And that means he can play as an eight. He probably plays a 10 and I wouldn't be really, you know, I'd like to see him um, on the left-hand side of the mid- midfield three, which is where Cameron Brannigan plays. So he never really got mm. to play there. But um, yeah, he's a quality player and someone who I think any League One kind of quality team needs a player of that kind of ilk. You know, he's you're looking at the kind of Barry Bannons, I guess, um, Connor Harrison, someone who can create from deep and has that that technical ability that's maybe a little bit above the level. Mm. For sure. Well, Duff doing such a, a good job here. Initially, just steadying the ship had to be the the kind of first objective and the way he approached the whole man management side was absolutely spot on everything's calmed down uh, and now they can start building from here it's four wins in a row in all comps for Barnsley they've conceded the joint fewest goals in the in the whole division and as I mentioned I think their attacking play is getting a little bit better and, and I think you know obviously because of of the horrors of last season there were so many question marks about the way the club was being run so much focus on the recruitment of young players very specifically and how in the relegation battle, maybe there were some some intangibles lacking that, that young players just don't, that just aren't equipped with, which didn't help when the going got tough, et cetera, et cetera. That was very much highlighted by their relegation, just as much as when they made the playoffs the year before, there was tons of articles about how data-driven their approach was and how they'd cracked the game and the style of play under Ishmael and the young players, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it just shows how how outcome-based football opinions are and outcome-based football opinions can be. What I would say is now that things have calmed down a bit, now that the team's doing well, again, you look from a neutral point of view, someone who's interested in, in player recruitment, and you have to admire what they have here. They have a group of, of players, basically all 25 and under, all owned by the club. Like They do have a couple of loanies, but the guys I'm talking about, all owned by the club, like assets that are growing in value, that in theory will be sought after by other clubs and you, you kind of keep the wheel turning that way. They're thriving, they're playing good football. The likes of Matt Anderson at the back and Kitching, Jordan Williams, a wing back, as I mentioned, Luke O'Connell in midfield, Herbie Kane, Adam Phillips, all these guys, Bradley Collins in goal, Benson, who who, who missed this game here. A few more fit the bill. Um, 
the most important piece of recruitment was Mike Duff, but I just, I like how everything's looking at the moment. Uh, George, there was a game on Saturday lunchtime, wasn't there, on the telly, Exeter against Ipswich. It felt like an important game for the mindset of Ipswich fans because uh, heading into it, they'd failed to win three of their previous five, two of them ridiculous games against Lincoln and Cheltenham where they had taken 64 shots and faced six and picked up one point. And then they, they conceded those goals in injury time against Charlton as well. And they've got this live on sky curse and all of that just melts away a little bit after a solid two nil away win. Yeah. And they were good value for it as well. Um, Exeter were by no means poor. Um, and I think Gary Caldwell's obviously had a, a fairly decent start to life. Well, fairly decent in terms of the performances, if not the results. Um, but yeah, I thought Ipswich were, were the better side. Um, a well-worked goal for the first um, from Nadapo, a good square, um, you know, good vision from from Harness to create it mm. after the ball over the top. Um, and then Exeter kind of came back into the game in, in the early in the second half uh, and looked a little bit threatening before Ipswich really turned the screw in the second half. And uh, after Blackman had made a, a few saves, it was coming. And, and I think to, to let Marcus Harness have a free header from a corner is... Um, not a particularly good mm. indictment. Um, I would say it was probably two poor moments of defending from Exeter rather than any blistering attacking play from Ipswich. Um, I would like to say that I think Humphreys uh, looks like a proper player mm. in the middle of the park. Interesting, I was just talking about Kane there. He looks like that kind of player in, in, in midfield who can pick a pass from, from basically anywhere on the pitch and split defences open whilst also being a classy ball carrier as well. He is right up my street in terms of the um, the, the range of attributes that he's got. And given the 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 wealth of riches that Ipswich have in their squad and their bloated squad as well, um, for him to have broken through this season shows just how good I think mm. Kieran McKenna thinks he is. And he looks to me to be a player destined for, for for pretty big things at Ipswich and then after that as well. So, uh, yeah, really important big week for Ipswich as well with, with Plymouth Argyle um, dropping points at, at Burton. Sheffield Wednesday won Shrewsbury nil. Big Mark McGuinness with a, with a lovely header to put them ahead. Uh, the consensus on the, on the squad where we've got quite a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans seemed to be that this was not a classic performance, but take the three points and run and keep coming back to, to what we've spoken about a lot over the last month or two. Just focus on yourself, Sheffield Wednesday. Don't look above. Don't worry about what's happening above you. Just keep picking up points and you'll be amazed what happens. Four points chipped away from our Giles lead uh, from Wednesday over the last two weekends. All of a sudden, it's looking a little bit rosier. Definitely is. And I think... Shrewsbury are pretty good at making games into this. I, I don't think you'll find many games a season where a team has come away from a game against Shrewsbury and thought to themselves, right, we absolutely battered them there. Um, Steve Cottrell is is very, very good at setting his team up to, to frustrate. Um, you know, I think Ipswich, the only team that I can remember so far this season who've either gone to Shrewsbury or played them and, and, and come away handsome winners. Um, Shrewsbury only had one shot on target in the game. Uh, you know, it was an ugly affair, a set-piece goal to win it. Um, and... As you say, it's kind of a classic case of just take the points and, and get out of there, I think, um, which they've done well. Um, so, yeah, for Ipswich and for, for Sheffield Wednesday, it's a, kind of a perfect weekend where they've closed the gap on the top. Uh, and Argyle conceding in the 97th minute uh, to mm. go from a win to a draw at Burton. We thought that Barley Mumba had won it with an absolute beauty. Uh, but Burton's number eight, Adrian Mariapa, who should not be wearing number eight, uh, scoring <laughs> in the 97th minute. They've got such a weird... A wonderful squad, Burton. It feels like they're adding a new free agent like every two weeks. Just just, just since the start of the season, they've brought in Winnell, Mariapa, Camwer, who scored the first goal here. He's a former Leeds kid who, who'd been released in the summer. Uh, Joe Dodu, they picked up last week. Uh, Mustafa Carriol as well. I don't know 
like how big their squad must be. But um, Marmaria is certainly getting plenty out of it. He's just given them such an injection of of energy and confidence and just fun and enjoyment, mm. which you can see in the way that they're playing. You can see from the stands that, you know, all things that they they seemingly had, had lost basically before Marmaria um, took charge. Very impressive and, and entertaining as well. Um, and also, can someone confirm if Burton play Maskenada as goal music? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure after Kamwa's goal, you could hear... Oh, adiao. Which is a remarkable choice of goal music. So someone please confirm. Good though. Uh, yeah, I, I reckon... Do you, like, do you like goal music? If you were in charge, if you were, you know, in charge of stadium music, would you... No, obviously not. You want no goal music? Tim Pop. Obviously, would... obviously not. I'd throw a lot of money at the uh, Napoli stadium announcer and just get him to scream down the mic. <laughs> Gonzalo! Higuain! <laughs> no, I would just ask the fans to bring the noise, you know? Come on, guys, help us yeah. to help you. Fleetwood won Bolton 2. I reckon this might have been the entertaining game of the day in, in League 1. Just looked absolutely crazy from the highlights. You had you had Bolton win back uh, Beck, missing a sitter in the first half at 0-0. Then you had... Lovely Carlos Mendes Gomez, who's really cooking at the moment, smashing in for Fleetwood, five goals and two assists in his last eight games. You had Fleetwood centre-back Josh Earl, like inexplicably suddenly somehow 1v1 and firing wide. It was a bit, it reminded me a bit of that famous Tony Adams goal from back in the day where he breaks the offside trap and then just smashes it home, except mm-hmm. Josh Earl fired wide instead. And Rooney hit the post for Fleetwood as well, but the last 25 minutes were just bombardment from Bolton who seem to be manufacturing games where they go behind just so they can come back, score late and win it, which is quite fun, but also quite stressful and probably not very sustainable. Um, so many balls fizzed across the box, somehow not going in until they did. Uh, Connor Bradley tapping in uh, and then a similar goal, really dapper off a line, uh, doing the same to win it in injury time in front of a packed away. And it looked absolute bedlam in there. I loved it. At three goals for Affaline this season, a 75th minute winner against Accrington, an 86th minute winner against Peterborough, a 94th minute uh, winner here. He's in, he's in cracking Nick. Uh, Lincoln two, Morecambe one. George, I'm, I'm starting to think that Lincoln won't finish bottom. Yeah, I, I think I probably agree. Um, and I'm delighted for them because uh, it's been a brilliant start to the season. Um, well, is it still the start? One for football cliches, that. Uh, it's been a great first season few months so of the season. Far. Um, and yeah one of these bizarre records so far this season where um, they are unbeaten at home but this was just their second victory at home um, with every other game of the LNER being a draw apart from their victory over Derby Um, and it was fairly comfortable I think you know Morecambe uh, one of the a couple of teams who I think Lincoln would would anticipate and expect to beat at home and it wasn't all plain sailing you know Morecambe hit the post at at 1-0 um, and then obviously came back to, came back into it at 2-0 uh, down to, to to get one back to make it 2-1. Uh, Cole Stockton nearly scored a classic Stockton goal um, from 40-odd yards, which uh, unlike previously where they hit the back of the net, this one bounced off the post to kind of compound his misery and his um, classic variance run of form where after a ridiculous purple patch, he's now 22 games without a goal. Um, yeah, but I mean, all credit to Lincoln. I think Mark Kennedy's doing a really good job there. And um Wins like this uh, are important. I, as you say, it's impossible now to to think they're going to be down towards the bottom end of the table. And I'm sure Lincoln fans are thinking to themselves, "Hold on, we're, we're four points yeah. off the playoffs here. There's absolutely no reason why, and especially given their record against the supposed best teams in the league, where they you know, they drew with Plymouth the other day, they've beaten Derby, 
um, they seem to to play better against the better teams. Um, it's uh, it's exciting for them, um, yeah, going forward. And, and you look through their team as well. I mean, there's quality throughout it. Um, whether it's Diamond and Vernon playing the side of house, or um, you know, Regan Poole got his hundredth game, his hundredth game for Lincoln on the weekend. Um, they look well set, I think, mm. um, which might be the curse to send them back spiraling towards twenty fourth. Yeah, Diamond's been a real star man the last few weeks in particular, and yeah, I think it's it's worth just pointing out what you've kind of suggested there that they've probably had the hardest fixture list in the whole league up to this mm. point. Um, so to be where they are is it speaks really well to to Kennedy's impact so far. Um, they hadn't beaten a bottom half team at home, but they have now, so that's a, another sort of uh, obstacle that they've cleared. Better beating anyone at home. Okay, another team that I think it's fair to say have had a very good not start to the season season so far first few months of yeah. the season and Port Vale George they beat Charlton 1-0 at home on the weekend I'm just unbelievably impressed with them this season with some of their players individually and, and with Daryl Clark at the at the helm at the heart of it all and impressive as well to bounce back from what was would have been a pretty galling 4-0 defeat um, against the side not doing too well in Oxford prior to this which was so out of odds with um, yeah. the rest of their their performances so far Um you know, maybe had something to do with Jack Stevens, their keeper, who's you know who couldn't play against his parent club. Uh, we know that a goalkeeper's impact is more than just their their shot stopping and, and command of area. Uh, often, they can play a pretty cru- crucial part and cog in part in terms of the actual defensive unit itself. So, he was back. He made a decent save at the death um, to to maintain the one 0 lead. Uh, Ellis Harrison was also missing it for this one with a um, with a suspension. Um, Butterworth scored a, a well taken goal. Um, He's a player in, in decent form and looks to have been a pretty shrewd acquisition. And, you know, it wasn't a, a classic games in, t- in terms of chances created. There wasn't a great deal between the two. Um, but Vale showing that, you know, they have the quality to bounce back and Daryl Clark uh, continues to do a magnificent job and one heavy defeat doesn't change that. Ben Garner struggling a little. Some out-of-character comments, I would say, post-match. Maybe he's just got a taste for being a bit more lively uh, after that sending off against Dipswich where he was whipping up the crowd. Maybe that's like shifted something in his whole, in his soul. And now he's going to be like Ian Holloway 2.0. Let's see. Asked for his views on the game overall. He said, horrible, a horrible pitch, a horrible performance, a very disappointing afternoon. The way Port Vale play, they play anti-football. They just want to stop you. We weren't good enough with the ball. I don't think we fought enough without it. Didn't show enough brightness. And then we give a horrendous goal away. That gives them something to hold on to and they can kill the game. I think that's, a very incorrect representation of Port Vale as a football team. And um, I can see why managers lean on that sort of stuff sometimes. Particularly, Are you saying that someone who's emotionally charged and had just lost the game of football has misrepresented the opposition after a game? Point taken. Uh, what? <laughs> maybe more. Okay. Well, maybe more significant would be some, some pretty pointed comments about the club and, and maybe some shots being fired mm. upstairs, as they say. Garner said, I expected a different set of circumstances when I came in. Uh, I haven't been able to recruit as I would have liked to. We've been limited with that. I've only had a limited amount of the budget available to me. That makes it an uphill task. This isn't a team that was flying last season and finished high up the division. It's a team in a club that struggled last season. We're trying to improve that. We're not strong enough. We've not got the depth to compete at the top end of this division. That's a fact. I'm not a magician. I'm not a miracle worker. We've made good progress in a number of areas, but we're handcuffed in a lot of others. Very pointed comments, George. I agree with a lot of them and I certainly sympathise with Garner on a lot of it. At the same time, it's not what you want to be seeing from a manager post-match. Those sorts of feelings coming coming gushing out, oozing out, doesn't, again, just doesn't seem to represent a club 
that's that's in control. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's kind of it's, it's a funny one because it felt like last season at Swindon in amongst the mayhem off field, he was a bit of a kind of figure of calm and they played football in quite a calm and collected, patient way. Uh, and the same can't be said of what's happening at Charlton where, again, there's a fair bit of off-pitch uh, instability. And I think the fans would quite like it if, you know, given what's going on behind the scenes, if, you know, at least Garner could be that steady Eddie that he maybe was at, at Swindon. Um, you know, he's, he's scrapping for a, for a, for his life, he's fighting for his job. Um, you know, you've got to think that the new man who comes in, uh, if and when Thomas Sangard does sell, does sell the club, um, they are more than likely going to want to bring in their own manager, especially if the current manager isn't performing particularly well. So it's just pressure, isn't it? I think at the end of the day, I think so many things we hear from managers that you can just put down to pressure. And, and I think at the moment, the way that um, Garner's behaving kind of on the touchline and, and after the games and stuff and, and probably the performance of his sides uh, replicates the, the his demeanour. Bristol Rovers won Peter Brunel. Oh, he's got his Sinclair and he is so wonderful. Sinclair scoring EFL goals again. That's nice. What I like is when a player who's had Scott Sinclair's career scores, of course, for the club that he, you know, he, he grew up at. But when he scores a goal in the twilight in League One, and he still celebrates it like he's won the Champions League. That was my yeah. favorite thing. Running behind the goal, absolutely loving it. Um, yeah, and a decent finish, a lovely team move as well. A really good nice. passing move from from Bristol Rovers. So. I mean, there's no reason why he can't be a massive asset for him. You have to think if he's if he's fit and um, still has a, a bit of pace about him as well. The biggest issue he has is that they're absolutely stacked up front at the moment, and they all look in cracking nick. Whether it's Collins or Coburn or Loft, Marquis is you know barely having an impact at the moment. But you have to feel like he's normally due a, a purple patch at some point as well. Um, there's not a lot of space for Scotty Sinclair to to run down the wing as fast as lightning. But it does make my heart sing. Uh, he's always had a very special place in my heart because like back in the day, do you remember when he used to go on loan all the time as like an 18, 19 mm. year old and he would every six months, he would just score like a sort of messy esque solo goal um, that just like no one used to score goals like that apart from Scotty yeah. Sinclair. Um, Bristol Rovers in cracking Nick, exciting team to watch at the moment. As for Peterborough, a bit confused about Peterborough, George, that they're, they're fourth in the league. But there's a nine-point gap between them and third. So a very significant gap growing between the, the top three and then Peterborough of the, the best of the rest at the moment. They've lost more games than the top three teams combined. I'm just generally, I'm not sure they're a very good team. But they've won so many home games and they're scoring so many goals at home that they're picking up a lot of points. But such a bizarre discrepancy between their away away Peterborough and home Peterborough. Like we saw them beat Oxford when they went away from home and we left being pretty unimpressed by them and feeling that they looked quite shaky and quite vulnerable. And that's pretty consistent away from home. But at home, you know, it's worth pointing out they've only played one of the top eight so far at home. They won it 2-0 against Wednesday, but they've been absolutely blitzing teams at home, but looking dodgy away from home. And I don't know, it might be enough for a playoff spot, but I certainly wouldn't be fancying them in a in playoff situation if they're this 
hot and cold and if they're this fallible on their travels when when things aren't you know lovely homely circumstances weirdly i kind of get what you're saying but i would look at it the other way where mm. I, I mean I, I agree with you where i think they are <clears throat> you know I, I can't see a world where they get near um ipswich plymouth and sheffield wednesday i mean they could get near plymouth our guard if, if if our girls do start to, to struggle but i think it's pretty unlikely we're going to see a massive drop off from from ipswich and wednesday um so i don't think i think automatic promotion is is pretty much out of reach already um, but i think because they are so dominant at home you know you look at the xg ratio from open play this season in league one and they are right up there amongst the best and i think the, the reason for that is because they exert their dominance to such a degree at home that it kind of skews the rest of it um you know they are a side who win regularly by two or three goals so i think in a playoff situation where you're playing over two legs and one of those legs is at home it should suit them to a T, really, to be able mm. to put themselves out of sight in that first leg, and I, yes, their their away form is is bad, but they you know they've won three games, they've lost the rest, but the three that they've, um, but the, the rest they've been beaten, they've only been beaten twice in those games by by more than a goal, so they're fairly tight. Um, but I mean, I agree, it's it's a pretty bizarre Jekyll and Hyde type side at the moment, who um, seem very comfortable at home when they're ahead and, and away from home when they go ahead. They, they're not really sure what they're doing. Um, so I'd be interested to hear, well, it's a bad time to say I'd be interested to hear from some posh fans on social media because I'm deleting Twitter for two weeks. Um, so I, I won't even see these. But hypothetically, I'd be interested to hear from posh fans and, and just ask the very simple question, do you think you're good? Like compared to the team that won promotion two years ago, do you think you're good like that? Uh, what What... Why is it, why is there such a bizarre discrepancy between your home performances mm. and your away performances? I'd like to I'd like to try and understand that. Cheltenham beat Wickham one 0 Seemed like a pretty bad match. This this was one of those where the two minute highlights on the Sky Sports website are mostly just like crosses going out of play for a goal kick. <laughs> but it was won by a, a deflected looper from Alfie May. Uh, and you know, doesn't really matter what the game looked like. It's a massive win and three points for Cheltenham. Mm. Their um their attacking output is relegation worthy scoring less than a goal a game but their defense is keeping their heads above water there are six teams beneath them and those six teams have conceded between seven and 19 goals more than them and if if uh if wade elliott can keep that going that should be enough should be enough but if there's any slippage on that front well they're really going to start realizing that they, they, they have to do more going forward uh, oxford drew one all with forest green frustrating for yellows to throw away that one nil lead mm. uh, felt like Forest Green were relatively good for it. Um, so the roller coaster wow. of Oxford United season continues. Yeah, I mean it's a draw, so we won't dwell on it. But I think Forest Green were definitely value for it. I think they they could probably argue that they're unlucky not to get all three points. Hmm. Commonly own goal for Oxford's goal. Uh, and Derby nil, Great Pompey finish. nil. Derby nil, Pompey nil was a match that happened on Friday night. Um, League Two time now. I slagged off League Two last week for being boring. And so much so that we, we we flirted with the National League with Ryan Deeney last week, NTT92, which went down very well. Thanks for all your, your kind feedback from last week's episode. Um, League Two's responded in style. Turns out this was what it needed to, to get motivated. A, a cracking George uh, in our favourite fourth tier. What was the worst thing you saw in League Two this weekend? What's Bad Cop got to say? Yeah, it's Salford who... It happens every season this where you think you have a team pegged out on a, in a campaign, especially with a um, a new manager. They kind of reminded me a little bit of 
of Forest Green last season, early in the season, where Neilwood came in, we didn't know much about him. You're watching the first five or six games of the season and you're like, yep, he gets it. Good stuff. We can chalk them down as being a challenger. Um, and, I, you know, things obviously do change over the course of the season. But I think when you've had like a, a clear change of personnel, a big influx of players and things start well, it's quite rare that that gets reversed to the extent where, where you are, well, not that you are wrong, but the performances take such a big nosedive mm. that you go from thinking this is a team who are top, you know, top three challenges to, to a side who look mid-table at the very best. But that's what's happened to Salford at the moment. Um, they haven't won a game um, since, they've won one game basically in their last eight, I think it is, uh, which was a 2-0 uh, away win at bottom club Hartlepool. Um, since then, they have uh, drawn a home to Wimbledon, but been beaten 4-1, obviously, by Kyla last weekend. But previously to that, lost 1-0 to Rochdale, lost to Leighton Orient uh, 1-0, lost to Stockport 2-0. And I think you could probably, before before Saturday, say, well, hold on, they've played sides here who are in, in good form. And the same can kind of be said of Carlisle. But to be beaten 4-1 at home um, by a side in Carlisle who, you know, going into the weekend weren't in the playoff places is, you know, I think evidence that things are not going particularly well and aren't really going to plan there. Um, a lovely strike from Callum Guy for the uh, second goal to put Carlisle 2-1 up was impressive, but Carlisle were good value for their win. They let Salford have the ball. Salford dominated possession for the whole game. Carlisle were happy to sit back and, and hit them on the counter and, and make the most of their kind of rare forays into the final third and did so with with, with brutal efficiency. So mm. you know, Carlisle continue to really impress me. I, I still maintain that they are definitely challenges for automatic promotion. I've been saying it for the last month or so. Um, they just plainly were not getting the results they deserved early in the season and now they are and and that is, is a warning sign I think especially because of if you look at the form since Paul Simpson came in um, mm. they are under him uh, a very good League 2 side but but for Salford this isn't really acceptable uh, and again we're seeing them really underachieve Such an exciting time to be a Carlisle fan though after the last few years in particular like a team a group of players but maybe more so than that a manager that is very very easy to love and is giving them days like this. That away end mm. looked absolutely unbelievable, George. And, you know, it's probably worth remembering and probably worth us saying what sort of shape they were in when Paul Simpson stepped in at the back end of last season. They didn't buy a ton of players over the summer and and suddenly, you know, weigh in with a big wage budget and things like that. The, the, the turnaround that Simpson has performed is to my eyes like a pure managerial quality turnaround, more so than like, mm. oh, he he got really well backed, which is sometimes the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I think he's just a quality coach, isn't he? Mm. In terms of, of of what he's been able to do, um, the the one, not criticism, but the, I, I'm still not entirely sure what the the style is. I mean, I mean that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I wouldn't say that he's somebody comes in and implements a style of football that we can associate with them. They seem to be pretty happy, as was the case on Saturday, to to, to sit off and drop off. Uh, we've seen them in other games be very aggressive mm. um, off the ball. Um, and that's probably a positive, isn't it, really? Yeah. They've yeah. got a side who, who can do both. So, um, yeah, I mean, his his stock in my in my mind is, is very high. And I think mm. it's quite rare that you find a manager of his calibre kind of twiddling his thumbs and coming in uh, left field. I don't think many League Two teams would have necessarily... Well, I mean, it's actually interesting. I don't think many League Two clubs probably would have taken a chance on Simpson. But similarly, I, re I remember at the time Carlisle fans saying that he was way out of their um, out of their league and it was only because it was Carlisle that he was happy to drop down to that level. Hmm. I like the fact that they've got this sort of mixed style and that he seems to be able to build game plans to fit their opposition. You know, 
Salford quite a good team to hold up as the opposite of that. A very clear, defined, possession-heavy philosophy, which looks great when it's going well, but when you're in poor form and it's just stale possession and you're passing straight into traps, giving the ball away and then looking completely at sea, defending numbers in transition, suddenly you're like, oh, well, surely it, surely there's more quality to management in in being able to react and respond to that rather than just you know, trying to mm. do it over and over again. So, yes, amazing weekend for, for Carlisle. Big fans of them at the moment. Uh, there were loads of good cop contenders in League Two. I'm actually going to go to the very, very top, to Leighton Orient. 2-1 winners at Stockport. It's not necessarily the result that leaps off, that leaps off the page in, in League Two. So, again, let, let me tell you why. I just want to basically put myself in the shoes of an Orient fan on Saturday. You, you're going away to the preseason favourites in Stockport. And, yes, you've got 17 more points than them at the time. But... They're also just starting to purr. You probably check out their recent form and go like, oh, actually, lads, they're in pretty good nick. They start the game, Stockport looking really strong, really slick, score a brilliant goal. Paddy Madden is putting on a clinic up front, laying it on for Hippolyte to put them ahead. They have a second big chance, Kyle Wooten, um, forcing a really smart save from Vigru. And 15 minutes in, you're, basically, you're probably feeling like you've been sort of slapped in the face a little bit. Um, one nil down, not had a shot in the first 15 minutes and you're kind of reeling. And then long throw, pumped into the box, ball bounces, Prattley like runs onto it and just just thumps it in with his head from the edge of the box, flying in to head home. 1-1, then face a bit more pressure, but defence standing firm, a bit more confident now. And then halfway through the, the, the second half, Lane Miz has a long shot tipped onto the bar. And as you're in the away end, probably still like scratching your eyes, at how that's not gone in, bounces out to Beckles and lovely Omar Beckles just smashes it back in on the half volley to put you 2-1 up. Um, what a man he is. Such a good athletic podcast with him and Tim Spears the other day, which I really enjoyed getting to know him a bit more. Um, and then a few nervy moments, but you see it out. You've done it. You've done it again. And you needed to do it the hard way this time against a big, imposing, strong side. And you've done it. And I reckon this might be one of the best wins of the lot, really. You get the train home, you look at the league table and you're like, lads, we've got, we've won 14 of 19. We're on 45 points from 19 games. That's two points more than Forest Green had at this stage last season. You remember how far clear we always felt that they were. They're halfway to 90 points with 60% of the season left to play. And I just think you're on the train home. The drinks are flowing. You're studying the league table. Second place, Stevenage have dropped points late as well. Fourth place are 11 points back. And you, you realise something that you don't really want to say out loud in case you jinx it. So I'll say it for you. You're almost certainly going up. It's the 20th of November and Leighton Orient are Ooh. almost certainly going My up goodness. to League One. Wow. You like that? I mean, I... you look quite close to tears at how hot that well, take is. I don't know. I, um, yeah, I live, I live too close to, to, Later, Norwich ground to start making predictions like that in case they go wrong and I get a knock on the door. Um, <laughs> it's, I would say, it's too early to say that. I mean, this is like all credit to Orient. We said the other day, you know, we had to give them more credit. You are certainly doing that now, making up for lost time. Um, this was another game in my mind where Orient have come out on top, having had two fairly speculative efforts fly in, basically. Um, the second, maybe not, but it was a speculative effort that, that kind of created the chance. Um, you know, they are better than that, but it does feel to me like there could well be a a run of not like a 
an abhorrent 10 game losing streak run, but just a run at some point fairly soon, which will bring them back. And there are too many good teams in, in League Two, in my mind, unlike in League One, where there are three good teams in, in my mind now. It, and, and I, you know, I can't really see who's going to going to upset that. In League Two, you've got Stevenage, who we know are, are going to be bang there. Um, and it'd be a massive surprise for anything else to happen. Northampton have, have gone to Bradford and shoved many of my words down my throat and and, and beaten Bradford very fairly comfortably in there. Bradford over the last few weeks have shown um, that they are capable of putting a run of form together to, to challenge. We mentioned Carlisle, who I think are, are, are top three challengers. Basically, I think if you go on a, a three or four match, and you know, I haven't even mentioned Barrow, who continue to to clip along at a pretty decent pace. I think in League Two at this stage, if you go a few games um, without wins or, or, or dropping points, the vultures will circle. And Leighton Orient are probably the one team at the moment in the league who, unlike Stevenage, who is so consistently solid, Orient, it does feel like to me, still have it within them to go on, on that kind of run that will bring them back, back towards it. But anyway, I mean, they are clearly right now the best team in League Two. And they are clearly right now the favourites to win the league. I just wouldn't be bullish on saying, you know, pack up and go home. You're a League One side next season. You are almost certainly a League One team next season, Leonore. <laughs> and, and Betfair's odds of 1.25 represent an 80% implied probability, George, of them winning Wait, the so 20%. That's not... 80% is absolutely not almost definitely. Almost I definitely think... is 98%. I'd say almost al- definitely. Definitely almost, is 100%. Almost certainly. You're, 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 you're almost there with 80%. Watch a, watch a statistics documentary on your flight to Africa this evening. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, I, so I just speak from the heart sometimes, you know? I don't want to always yeah. look at the numbers. I just want to see with my eyes and speak with my heart. <laughs> my heart says Richie Wellens is going to do it again. Um, why don't we do Bradford 1, Northampton 3? Absolutely loved this from Cobblers. Uh, I loved Pinnock seizing on a sloppy pass and curling them ahead. I loved McWilliams leading a counter-attack, pointing to Bowie where he wanted, you know, where he was going to clip the ball through past the defender onto the unrunning Bowie and then getting on the end of the cutback to score. And I loved the, the kind of joyous third goal where they just knocked it around really nicely, bit of skill, bit of combination play down the left and then swung in a cross that was headed in by by Shering. Um, brilliant away performance from Cobblers. And my main emotion after being really buzzing for Cobblers here is confusion at Bradford City at the moment, George, who go back to what we talked about with Posh, but almost the other way around. They've got 19 points from nine away games and sometimes look absolutely brilliant away from home. But at home, something's not quite right. Only 14 points from 10, which is you know, well beneath what you'd expect from a team gunning for autos. Can you explain Bradford yeah, to me? I can't, no. I, I was pretty surprised um, to see them, despite their poor home form, um, to see the way they were beaten by by Northampton, who after, you know, I've just mentioned there, a, a mini poor run that can put pay to a, a top-end league position. And, and that's kind of what Northampton went through before this one, um, where you know, for injury or, or otherwise, um, the results certainly tailed off a little bit. But this is exactly the kind of performance and result that will get them um, thinking that they've put that behind them uh, up against the Bradford side who came into it in decent form away from home. Obviously, their home form is, is a big issue. And um, teams, I think Mark Hughes said, after this one, that teams seem to relish um, you know, the big occasion of going to Valley Parade uh, whilst his own players don't. Uh, the reasons for that, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but they were poor on the day. There was no hard luck stories here. It wasn't like Northampton had a, you know, had 
a couple of opportunities and took them and that was it. Um, they were tuning up fairly early in the game and were able to, to kill it off with, with Bradford creating very, very little until their, their injury time penalty. So work to be done for Bradford um, because they aren't going to be able to maintain a promotion challenge if they aren't picking up um, regular points and regular wins at home. Tell me about Barrow. 3-1 winners good, at home to Hartlepool. Yeah. Bad mm. week. Bad week for Pool's keeper, Ben Killip, who got... Mm. He got pantomimed by Danny Rose last week against Stevenage. And then this week, ran out of his goal, basically tripped over the ball, and Gordon yeah. just popped it in for 1-0. Poor lad. Yeah, it looked kind of like, you know, when you see people going for like walks in the park with their dog and they kind of trip over the ball when they're doing long ball. It was like that, where he kind of charged out and then uh, <laughs> looked like he, he didn't really know what to do when he got there. Um, he, yeah, I mean, Barrow were... Uh, were, were very good value for this win. They were they're impressive um on the day and they um you know they they continue to be a side who when they when they turn up they win games. You know, they've drawn one game this season, they've lost seven, which is more than most teams around them. But when you're win, winning games as regularly as they are. Um and they're yeah, they're another one like Northampton who had a a, a poor little blip that seemed to have come through the other side now and they their promotion potential and their their fourth place position is is intact. Eleven wins from nineteen games is is pretty astounding when you consider yeah. the- the preseason expectations of them. Um, a, a hell of a start to League Two management career for Pete Wilde. Uh, Harrogate 3, Mansfield 0 was definitely the surprise result of the weekend. This was a Harrogate side that had picked up six points from their previous 14 games in the league. And Mansfield had one weekend off their weird defensive shoddiness. Last week against Rochdale, won their winners away from home, looked really comfy. But it was absolutely back in evidence here. They just look, they just, they always seem to be scrambling the, the Mansfield defenders in a way that most good teams don't look like that when they defend. And I don't, I don't really understand it. I don't understand why it's not being sorted. I, as I said last week, or maybe it was the week before on the betting show, I don't really blame the personnel. Like there's a lot of individuals getting sort of called out for, for poor performances. But you, John Joe O'Toole, Ollie Hawkins, James Perch, and they're consistently being exposed and defending teams in transition. They're all going to look bad because that's not the sort of defenders that they are. They're not quick. So so you have to try and protect them. You have to build a, a way of playing and defending that doesn't bring out the worst in them. And I can't understand why that's not happening at the moment for Mansfield. Um, Harrogate had four shots in the first half. But three of them were big chances that they created uh, and and scored goals. Patterson and Armstrong getting two. Please for Luke Armstrong, because he always strikes me as one of the hardest working strikers. He's got a high workload. He has to do a lot of heading, Luke Armstrong. And it's, it sometimes feels like he's almost too exhausted to actually finish the chances when he gets them. Um, but he did so here with two goals and just a huge, huge win for, for Harrogate, George, because they've, they've certainly inserted themselves into the relegation conversation. So, um, Big bonus three points like this at home to, to one of the bigger hitters is going to have to be uh, very, very pleasing. Tramier near Wimbledon too. Johnny Jackson's Womble Army. Johnny Jackson's Womble Army. It feels like the last time we spoke about Wimbledon, there might have been some quite negative vibes around the place, but they're nine games unbeaten in all comps. Three straight clean sheets. And he's unlocked and unleashed Ayub Asal. Ayub. What a finish for the second goal. Um, and, I, and I just loved, I loved he ran over into the corner and like did a crying face. These like five Tramir sporting kids. <laughs> they literally, and they just looked so confused. They looked at each other. It wasn't even like they reacted 
all airy. They just kind of were like, oh, right, okay. He was giving um, um, he was giving Simeu some verbals as as he got sent off yeah. as well. He just a, he loves it. He's a larry little man, isn't he? Um, God, I hate me calling him that. Um, as yeah, a as uh, a Larry, as a Larry little man, I can confirm that it's not nice being called. Oh, that. mate, you're not Larry. Um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, a, a massive result for them. Um, delighted for for Jacko that he, you know, that the club have retained the faith in him. Uh, Wimbledon fans will, will now be looking up towards the playoffs, wondering if they can break into it because Tranmere don't lose many games at home ever, really. No matter what kind of guys they're in, and at the moment they're they're doing pretty well. So. We, we don't we didn't see the Simeu um incident for the sending off, which obviously would have had a big impact in the game, although Chislett had already put Wimbledon ahead. Um but yeah, it's a a, a bit of a statement win, I would say. Um and, and great to see Asal with five five goals in a row showing League Two what he can do because I think we thought he'd be doing this in League One last season. Club statement Wimbledon win two 0 at Tranmere. And with a very young back line as well. They had uh with Gunter away, with Jack Curry mm. injured. Uh, Hassan Belair made his first league start, I think, for them. 20-year-old academy kid. He's, I've always ha- had mentions of him from Don's fans who say that at youth level and on loans that he's had, he's, he's always looked very tenacious, like he, like he might be able to handle the step up to senior football. And he put in a good display here, keeping a clean sheet. Uh, Ogundere, the right back as well, has been getting a lot of minutes recently as well. Um, but yeah, all about Asal, really, who's scored seven in his last eight games. Uh, and scored in each of his last five as well. He's in ridiculous form at the moment. Uh, Cole Yu, three, Doncaster nil. Basically just watched the highlights of this one, George, sort of laughing slightly harder every time I saw a Cole Yu player ping it in from 25 yards. It feels like like they just they just got all the, the, the <laughs> long-range finishing luck that they need all in one go. Yeah. Yes, um, it was three great strikes in fairness. So let's give him credit for that. Um, I really liked after the game, Matt Bloomfield said that he had introduced um, video analysis technology at Colchester, um, which enabled him to show Doncaster's shortfallings during halftime. I don't think the goal said anything to do with Doncaster's shortfallings. Unless the video analysis was, look at this, just smack it in from 30 yards. Um, and it was also kind of concerning that there wasn't already video analysis underway at Colchester before this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Colchester fans, more than anybody, really deserve Saturday, where they can get up on a Saturday morning, go and watch a home game, see three brilliant goals and a, and a stress-free three points against an informed side. Um I don't think Doncaster lose much in defeat here. It's been a good start for Danny Schofield. Um, there's just not much you can do when you come up against three strikes of that quality. So, yeah, maybe not a blueprint for, for future success for Colchester, but certainly will give them some belief and some momentum, hopefully, to, to take this form forward. And wonderful scenes for young Samson Tovid, who scored the second goal. Uh, quite funny timing, personally, because on the NTT20 squad, we have a gaming channel, uh, which is 99% us all playing football manager and excitedly telling each other how we're doing. And there's a community challenge going on at the moment since the release of the first game, which is take charge of Colchester United and turn them around because we worked out that <laughs> at the time the game came out, they were bottom of the EFL. And if you collate all of our preseason predictions on the squad, they were the team we had the lowest opinion of. So therefore consider that to be the biggest challenge. And there's a big youth aspect to it because Colu obviously, um, you know, really prioritise youth development. So some of the guys are playing at the moment and they all say Samson Tavid is a superstar of the future, George. So I was not surprised when I saw him latch on to a punt forward 
carry it 20 yards and then smash it into the top corner. Um, and I was <laughs> pleased because I remember last season, uh, he made his first start for the club in a game against Sutton and he got sent off 20 minutes in for violent conduct. That was his first ever start for Koyu. So redemption for, for Samson. And you could see how much it meant to him with just wonderful, emotional celebration of his first league goal. So congratulations, Samson. More of that, please. And Newport 2, Gillingham nil was a pretty straightforward one, really. Lord Farquharson at the double for uh, for Newport <laughs> County. Uh, two goals from set plays for him. The Cochrane era has started pretty well. Uh, bouncing back from from defeat at home to Stockport, um, where I think Stockport just played quite well. So I wasn't really marking Newport down for that. But of course, beating Jills is not that difficult at the moment, particularly once you get ahead. Jills tend to just fold. And that's what happened here. They'd gone really close at 0-0, um, hitting the bar from two yards out. I think it was Ema. But once they conceded, very little to show for it. And, and that's the theme here. This is a, a miserable team in miserable shape in the relegation zone very very difficult to understand or plot you know even the most optimistic fan or neutral is quite difficult to plot a route out of this for Gillingham at the moment um and uh, and I wonder how Neil Harris is uh, is feeling about it all because it's a desperately difficult situation George how about uh, Swindon nil crew one that was a good noise I was trying um, to choose I was trying I'll let you choose between Walsall two Crawley one Swindon nil crew one or Sutton one Rochdale nil Sutton one Rochdale nil going to do it very quick um one here because this was another really poor performance from from Sutton who are undergoing their most difficult spell since returning to the well since arriving in the EFL uh, a goal decided a game decided by an olympic goal straight from a corner from Randall um Dale had the better chances in the game uh, Sutton fans are aware that they were particularly fortunate to win this one and um yeah, I think Rochdale will feel aggrieved not to have got at least a point out of it. So Sutton, you know, it might look like a return to winning ways, and that's what it is, but certainly still concerns with the performances whilst Rochdale do continue to to improve under Jim Bentley. Uh, we'll still beat Crawley 2-1. I would have liked to have seen this match play out at 11 v 11 because it was a tight one before Francelette's red card in the first half. So it's a shame we didn't find that out. Uh, Balkan made a string of excellent saves in goal for Crawley. He's looking really, really strong uh, in nets for Crawley, but give DJ enough chances to DJ and he will DJ. And that's what we found <laughs> out here with a really nice uh, control swivel finish to, to win Walsall the game late on here, despite, you know, huffing and puffing a little bit. Uh, it's all three points for Mike Flynn's team and Swindon lost one nil at home to crew um, penalty goal uh, decided this one, a penalty that looked harsh to me. It looked like the, I think it was um, your man Darcy looked like he got a bit of ball there for me, but referee didn't agree. Former yellow Dan Ajay scoring at Swindon to put crew ahead, giving it the old fingers in the ears. Lovely stuff. Uh, and then after that, as you'd expect, really, a few chances for Swindon. Um, Jeffka and Iandolo in particular, but you'd want them to be doing a little bit better. They didn't respond that well to the to the adversity there. Um, and as for crew, just as I was getting really worried about them, they've picked up six points in two weeks. One nil wins against Colchester and Swindon. Were they performances that merited two wins? Probably not. But given my concern for them in attack now that Baker Richardson is out long term, just getting two clean sheets is is crucial and key and important. Um, and the keeper Oconquos has been key for those wins um, with some excellent saves. So things just calming down a little bit at the point where where form and performances were looking very very iffy for Crew. Grimsby got a late equaliser to draw one one at Stevenage. That's the EFL weekend that was, and uh, it's been an absolute treat. George, you got big plans for the pod without me? Going to mix it up a bit? Yeah, TBC, to be fair. Um, we'll see. It might be either. 
Never know. Oh, that'd be nice. Get Eva on mm. the pod. I wonder if she'd be One the day. youngest, the youngest podcast guest maker ever if she came on the pod. Interesting one. Um, basically, guys, see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for your continued support of the pod. Huge thanks to Betfair for sponsoring it. Uh, and goodbye from me. Enjoy the World Cup and go well. Go well.